Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. My name is Graham Brown. Today, joined by the CEO and co-founder of Grab Jobs, we're going to talk about fundraising without necessarily having institutional fundraising experience here in Asia, and also building a business across time zones in Southeast Asia. Manu Croy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, uh, Graham. Thank you. Thank you for having uh, me here. Merci, I should say. Hey, I want to ask Merci. you, what's going on? I mean, obviously, I just interviewed Jean-Pierre Sedaga, who is a friend of yours. Mm-hmm. And before mm-hmm. him, I interviewed Alex Medana. And then just last week, we had an interview with Philippe Jolie, who was a French actor <laughs> in China. China. What's going on? Why are we talking to a lot of French French entrepreneurs all of a sudden. Is there a movement? Is there something happening I'm not aware of? Or are we just actually talking to you guys now? (laughs) It's a very good uh, question. Maybe we're all, um, you know, networked together and uh, one introduces uh, the other. Um, But yeah, I think the French people are quite a nomadic uh, type of people. Um, So in any city in the world, especially uh, in Asia, and and you probably see it, uh, you being based in Japan, um, there's a pretty large French community in, yeah. in, in every major city. Um, and it's often um, yeah, entrepreneurs that, that decide to uh, leave France and actually you know, start something elsewhere. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, you, I think you, you'll meet a, a lot of those uh, uh, in major cities around here. Definitely. I mean, we have a big French population here in Tokyo, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll find it all across Asia. And it seems as well, the French that come to Asia are the entrepreneurs, right? They are the ones who are seeking out that opportunity, you know, that vibe, that energy. So what about yourself, Manu? When did you come to Asia? So I actually came straight after uh, university. Um, so I did my university in, uh, in Canada, um, and I studied uh, computer science. Um, and a little bit about my background. Um, I'm originally from France, but I've lived in um, I've lived in the UK as well. I've lived in the US, lived in Canada. Um, was kind of done with the West and wanted to to move uh, east. Um, I also uh, thought that this is where you know the, the economy was going to be, where the future was going to be. Um, so I was 21 years old actually when I came to to Singapore. Um, started working in um, in a bank as a as a de- developer uh, in technology. Um, and yeah, I've been I've been here ever since. It's been uh, it's been uh, almost eleven years now. Mm. Um, started working in uh, in in technology. Um, it was a very sort of um, uh, you know technical type of position. Um, it was fun for a bit, but then I wanted to do something a bit more networking oriented, so I could meet uh, more people. Um, and ended up making a complete uh, transition from technology to uh, recruitment, um, and. Um, met my uh, best friend and business partner at the time with whom we decided to actually start uh, our own recruitment firm. And that was the start of our um, entrepreneurship uh, adventure. Right. Um, and since then, we actually started um, yeah, a few other businesses, including uh, including Grab Jobs. Right. So we're going to talk about Grab Jobs in a minute. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. Step back a little bit. The recruitment firm... Yeah that you started, that was in the mold of a traditional recruitment firm. Like a, exactly. I know you worked for Robert Walters before that, right? So those who know <laughs> recruitment probably know Robert Walters. So was it based on that kind of model? It wasn't uh, an online platform like you're building now. 
That's correct. So when we when we started, so I basically you know first get, started getting experience with uh, the large recruitment firms, uh, Robert Walters, Morgan McKinley. Um, then decided that you know we could actually uh, open up uh, our own agency, um, but it was a very traditional type of uh, recruitment process. Um, nothing related to, uh, to to technology. Um, I mean, we were recruiting for the the technology sector, banking sector, but it was uh, yeah very traditional model. Um, you know. Uh, working over email, making phone calls. Um, so yeah, the the, the classic uh, model, and we opened it in Singapore, and also uh, expanded to um, to Thailand uh, at the mm. time. So when did you open that business? So that was in 2013. 2013. So five years ago. At the time, were you dealing mostly with Singapore or expats moving around Singapore, or was there much at the time of people moving into Singapore from outside? Five years ago, yeah, it was um, it was a bit of both. Um, I would say seventy, yeah, seventy or seventy five percent of our candidates. So that's within, let's say, technology and banking, uh, mid to senior levels. Um, seventy to seventy five percent were people that were already. Uh, based in in Singapore, mm-hmm. but it was a mix of uh, locals and expats, um, and um, and about thirty percent was actually um, you know candidates that we had to source from outside of Singapore. Um, reason being that um, yeah, two thousand thirteen I think was around the um, the, the time where uh, startups were were beginning mm-hmm. to to boom uh, in Singapore. Um, so you had Grab that was uh, massively hiring. There was uh, Lazada as well that was massively hiring. Um, everybody was looking for uh, technology talent, um, you know, from, from uh, I mean, experienced technology talents, also uh, you know, people with experience in startups. And at the time, um, yeah, there weren't that much, uh, you know, talent in, in Singapore or, you know, every startup was fighting for, for that talent. So you really had to look uh, outside of Singapore, uh, look at uh, Europe, look at uh, the U.S. Um, to actually get, you know, people with um, a strong startup experience, technology experience. Right. It must have been a harder sell back then. If you go back five years, you're talking about really the early, early stages of the Singapore tech ecosystem or the startup ecosystem, right? I mean, Singapore had that sort of technology background, but it didn't really have startups until very recently. And and if you would go back five years, I wonder how much of a harder sell it would have been to get somebody from the Valley or from Europe into Singapore compared to now. I mean, it's different for you, I guess, when you were 21 and you came here, you were a pioneer, you were a risk taker, right? But you know, I guess if you were older, with a lot of experience, a lot more to lose, Singapore would have been a bit of a risk in 2013, right? No, it's true. You're absolutely right. So, um, it was really, um, you know, a 50-50 when, when speaking to candidates. Um, you know, it's, it's some, uh, it was either candidates that, yeah, are willing to, to take the risk because they want to move to, um, you know, a new country, new new continent, get a new experience. But often enough, you know, you meet, you, you speak to people who are in a pretty uh, comfortable position um, and, you know, would only want to move for, uh, you know, a pretty big uh, expat package, let's mm. say. Uh, and at the time, the startups in Singapore, um, yeah, were not actually ready to, to you know, pay, I would say, that much of the time. Um, so, yeah, it was really about finding uh, those people that, uh, yeah, would be open to uh, to come to Asia. I guess one of the selling points was, um, you know, very low taxes in, in Singapore compared to some countries in um, in Europe um, and also and also the U.S. So I would mm-hmm. say that was sort of the main uh, the main selling point. And of, and, of course, the fact that, yeah, Singapore is a very, uh, very comfortable country. Yeah. I get the impression that when, when I speak to the talent that you're talking about, the kind of people who, you know, walk out of, let's say, Google or could get a job anywhere, 
for example. They, what really attracts them now, and I speak, for example, I interviewed um, Chiraya Wadke, who's one of the partners of Seed Plus, and who worked for Google in the Valley and moved to Singapore. And his reasoning for moving, and I think this is kind of, you know, a theme with all the sort of these talented uh, people on the market or looking onto the market is they want the 10x they want the big projects they want to do something that's really going to make a difference so you know mm-hmm. if you leave google the natural choice is to maybe move to a facebook or maybe an alibaba or something like that but there isn't a, you know until recently there haven't been a lot of choices in asia have there you know people okay there was the financial benefit of coming to asia but now we're starting to see these kind of 10x projects that people can get involved in. I think that really excites engineers and software programmers and, you know, the builders, the people who make yeah. this ecosystem happen, right? Exactly. Uh, also, um, another type of, of people who actually, so those those senior um, professionals that, that, you know, have gained a lot of experience in the startup ecosystem, uh, either in the Valley or in Europe, um, have previously built startups. Um, you know, the drive is always to continue building startups. Um, so what's one thing that's interesting for them is to actually join um, a relatively, you know, new startup, but that has received, um, you know, enough rounds of funding. Mm. Um, and they are actually tasked to, to, to grow that business uh, regionally. Um, that is usually something you know pretty attractive for um, yeah for for uh, a broad talent. Mm. So let's talk about grab jobs. Let's talk about your startup, your sure. baby, so to speak. Yeah. What, what is what is the this? I guess I got to ask. What's the solution? Or what's the problem that you're trying to solve in yeah. the job market or the recruitment market in Asia? Mm. So the very simple, um, you know, problem we're trying to solve is um, is recruitment uh, inefficiencies, uh, particularly for entry to um, mid-level jobs. Um, so what I could do is perhaps uh, backtrack and sort of uh, explain, you know, how we actually decided to uh, to start Grab Jobs. Yeah. Um, so uh, as I mentioned, you know, my, my background is a mix of technology and uh, and actually recruitment. Um, and it's while working in uh, in recruitment firms that uh, you know I realized it was a, a very traditional model, um, very I would say um, unproductive model where you could spend I mean a recruiter could spend about seventy percent of his time during a day uh, doing kind of um, very time consuming and, and repetitive tasks, which is um, you know opening CVs in an email, reading CVs, uh, trying to call every candidate, asking them like the very same set of questions like mm. um, why are you looking for a job. How soon can you start? What's your expected salary? Um, the typical type of questions that um, you know you would hear from from any recruiter. Um, so I realized there was a lot of inefficiencies there. That was that was one thing. Um, the second thing is. Um, uh, while having our own recruitment firm, so it was uh, it was um, quite successful, and with uh, the profits, I started uh, doing a bit of investments in, in the region, um, notably in uh, in the FNB and retail industry. Um, and one issue that all these um, businesses were were facing was actually staffing, because they were looking for I would say um, um, staff that is not necessarily very qualified, um, so more sort of entry level staff or entry to, to mid level. Um, but there was no uh, I would say jobs platform that. Was was really targeted for entry to mid-level. Um, it was often platforms that would do um, um, everything from from entry to, to senior, such as uh, JobStreet, JobsDB, or, or LinkedIn. Um, so these would be actually quite quite expensive, and you would you would not necessarily find uh, the right type of staff. So it was actually taking us um, as much time to like hire you know waiters or like 
cooks um, as it would take us as, as a recruiter to hire like an IT manager for a big company. Right. So I realized that there's actually something wrong there. Um, so yeah, with the, the mixed uh, background of technology and recruitment, um, you know, I decided, hey, let's build a, an app that's actually going to um, solve this issue. Um, gonna, a very user-friendly app where you know, job seekers can quickly create a, a little profile, apply for, for jobs very fast, um, and then integrate um, interview chatbots um, so that uh, an employer would be actually able to uh, customize their, their own like pre um, pre-screening questions that would be asked uh, automatically to, to job seekers when they apply for jobs. Um, that would make it you know, a lot faster uh, for, uh, for employers to, to see if a candidate is, uh, is qualified or not. Mm -hmm. Um, it would also make it for uh, much faster for the job seeker to actually get a response from uh, from the employer. Um, so yeah, what we decided to build was um, was um, um, mobile application um, that integrates uh, chatbot technologies. Got it. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit, Manu. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think the first point that you mentioned about the frustrations that traditional mm -hmm. recruiters have with the process, you, you say it's very inefficient. I can certainly agree with that, having been a recruiter for my own company in the past in telecoms. <laughs> and you, you talk about those questions. And I think that what you don't realize when you're employing people is the questions you ask or the standard kind of questions, everybody's practiced those a hundred times. So, you know, what you think you're going to get as an answer for that question is is probably something they've cut and pasted off the internet, right? Those sort of standard questions, you know, and the polished CV and so on. And I find that really frustrating because, like you said, you spend so much time going through CVs, resumes, looking at the information, and it's all sort of polished to make it look like everything else. It's very it's frustrating because you mm -hmm. can't actually work out by looking at a CV or a resume what that person is actually all about. You know, it's only when you ask those sort of bit more difficult questions that you actually get, you know, all sort of the, the unexpected questions, you actually get answers. And I noticed when you were talking about grab jobs in, a, in a, a, an article that was published, you said that one of the questions that you ask, let me just uh, refer to this, is, you know, what do you like about our brand? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, yeah. I find that as a really good question because I asked similar kind of questions back in the day. So how do you find that to be a good question to ask? What does that sort of do to the recruitment process by asking those kind of, you know, like yeah. unexpected questions? Sure. So actually, uh, two things. Um, one is that the, the employer on our app yeah, can, can customize questions. So, you know, asking these type of uh, open-ended questions uh, are great because you... Um, you can actually, yeah, the, the job seeker will not have a, a copy-pasted answer. They actually have to be, you know, creative and, and really tell the truth as to why they, they're interested. That means mm -hmm. that, um, you know, you can differentiate who has done research about the company and, and who hasn't. So you can differentiate who's motivated, who's not. Um, the other thing that's great is that we've um, um, actually integrated uh, voice recording. So um, when an employer asks a question, they can request for the answer to be done uh, over uh, audio recording. Mm -hmm. um, um, and they can just, you know, quickly play it back uh, from their dashboard. Um, so that's great to actually see whether the person has, you know, good communication skills. Um, you know, let's say it's going to be like a, a client-facing role, uh, you know, or sales.
skills type of position, um, yeah, you would want somebody that has good communication skills. So immediately you can tell whether you know this person is actually worth bringing in for like a, a further face-to-face -face round of interview um, uh, or not. Um, so you actually end up saving time um, and you don't waste your time trying to call candidates and then realize after a couple minutes that, oh yeah, this person just does not communicate well. Um, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna move forward. Beyond the communication side of things, when you're actually asking for the voice answer, does it give a different insight into that person as well? Do you sort of learn something about them that you couldn't get if it was written down? Well, for sure, the communication skills. Um, that's, that's, you know, primarily the, the, the main one. Um, also, I mean, I, I guess it works two ways. One is really to assess um, yeah, how well does a, a person communicate. Mm. The second thing as well is... Um, only candidates that will be really serious about applying will go through the process of actually, you know, recording their answers. Um, so it actually stops um, what we call serial applicants. Um, those yeah. job seekers that, you know, just apply for every single uh, job on the page, uh, you know, hoping that they would get uh, you know, the job, even though you know their qualifications may, may not be relevant for the job, um, as soon as uh, they have an interview process that starts and they must actually record answers, um, yeah, they would um, they would actually drop out. Right. So it, it yeah. helps. Uh, it helps to filter the yeah the, the motivated candidates. The, the serial candidates that I mean the shotgun candidates, so to speak. I mean that's their approach, isn't it? Is that that that's got to be a major problem with with recruitment, isn't it? Because that. We don't know as an employer or potential employer whether or not that person is serial or not from standard sort of application process, right? Because they, they have a very good resume and they have a very good cover letter and they've just sort of cut and paste and changed a bit around, right? And mm -hmm. I, I think that's the major problem, isn't it? Because not only do you not know whether or not they know anything about you, but you also don't know whether or not you're just kind of one of a thousand that they've applied to. And so if you invest your time in them, they also could, you know, just walk off and you know, have a hundred different offers on the table. So it's kind of difficult for an employer to know all that stuff. I wondered like, you know, that is, is that sort of the, is that a, is that a, a, a symptom of the recruitment process, serial candidates? Is that sort of a two way thing? Yeah, so th so that is something that you know definitely uh, definitely happens. Um, you know, it's always a minority. Uh, I mean, a small number of, of candidates that, that do that. Um, but yeah, it is it is one of the the, the few problems that uh, you know we're we're trying to solve. Um, and yeah, having an interview bot that actually asks um, direct questions to to a job seeker um, helps to filter these um, these serial candidates because usually they uh, they are not the most motivated type of uh, type of candidates. They actually expect an employer to to call them um, rather than the other way around. Um, so with our process, you know, you apply for a job and immediately you need to actually take a bit of time to um, to answer the interview. So if you're motivated, it's great because you'll get an answer uh, much faster than if you applied for for you know a traditional job board. Um, and of course, if you're not actually interested in the position, then nothing's going to happen because you'll probably drop out of the of the interview. Yeah, exactly. So tell us a little bit about your chatbot. How does that work? Is it something you've built? Internally, what's the what's the sort yes. of you know? Tell us a little bit about the genesis of that. Sure, sure. Yeah. So we've um, we we've built all of our systems uh, internally. So we have um, a full time team of uh, developers that's based um, here in uh, here in Singapore. Um, and yeah, our chatbot has been uh, developed um, um, you know by, by ourselves. Um, so right now, I would say it's a relatively simple uh, chatbot in the sense that uh, you know an employer can can customize um, what questions they want to to ask. 
um, if they want to receive um, text answers, voice answers, uh, also they can put in some multiple choice answers. Um, right now, it's um, I would say it's a, it's a sequential type of uh, interview. So it basically asks uh, you know questions one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, one one um, thing that is uh, interesting though is that um, when an employer posts um, multiple choice questions, they can actually add uh, a different score uh, for each uh, potential answers. Um, so for example, um, you know the way we tell our clients to use it is if you're trying to hire, let's say, um, let's say a salesperson, um, you would typically ask a question that says, how many years of sales experience would you have? Mm. Um, and then you can put in uh, example, uh, I mean, op- different options for them to, to just click and answer, uh, such as no experience, one to three years, you know, four to six years, um, and you can put a score. So if they reply no experience, you know, they'll get zero points. Uh, if they answer one to three years, they'll get 20 points. You know, over four years, then they get 50 points. Um, and the bot actually calculates the, the interview score um, for each applicant. And is then sorts um, all the applicants according to uh, who performed better um, on the interview. Right. So for um for an employer, it's it's very simple because one, they don't need to call you know candidates anymore. Uh, all they need to do is log into their dashboard, and they immediately have you know the top ten candidates um, that have been ranked according to how well they did uh, on the interview. Right. Okay, gotcha. So, I mean, obviously, the, the chatbot's not actually making the recruitment decision itself. Is it? It's just kind of doing the heavy lifting and all the numbers for the recruiter. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, we don't think that chatbots would, you know, replace the entire um, recruitment no. process because, yeah, you do need some uh, some uh, human touch at some point. You definitely need, like, a face-to-face to really, you know, mm. assess, um, I would say, the, the presentation skills and, you know, whether you actually click with a person. Um but the most time-consuming part of the, the recruitment process is always this first round of interview, which we call the screening process. That's when you receive the bulk of candidates, let's say, you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands, um, and you actually have to filter through all of these. Um, so what our solution does is it automates all of that. Um, so instead of it taking days, you know, it, you basically just log into your dashboard and everything has already been uh, done for you. Mm. So I'm sure you've studied this what, and you know this ad hoc as well from your own experiences. What kind of numbers, not, not necessarily in your platform, but generally out there in the open market, what kind of numbers are there for like one job uh, post? How many applicants do companies typically get? Obviously it varies I mean, sector by sector and post by post, but what's sort of typical, just so we can get an understanding of how much time is involved in sifting through all these applications. Yeah. Um, so what we're trying to target is, is um, uh, I would say that the companies that do high volume uh, hiring. Um, so just to give you an example, mm. um, in the in the Philippines, um, our biggest industry are the the BPOs, um, so business process outsourcing. It's all the, the co- all the call center type of companies, um, you know, all the customer care uh, support uh, type of companies. Mm. They some of these companies hire, um, I would say, you know. A almost a thousand people per month um, because they have very high uh, turnover rates. Um, So to hire a thousand people per month, they actually need to scan, you know, over 10,000 CVs uh, on a monthly basis. Um, So you can imagine that, you know, that would basically take a a little army of recruiters and, you know, having a little army of recruiters that just does that, like just, you know, screens uh, candidates. Um, So extremely, extremely time uh, time consuming. Um, If we look at more kind of traditional type of um, um, 
uh, jobs or um, I mean, I would say on average, um, you know, if you're looking at other businesses like uh, retail, F&B, um, of course, it's going to depend on the size of your business. But for a medium sized business, um, yeah, you'd get you know, anywhere from 50 to 100 um, you know, applicants uh, for your job. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, going back to your Filipino example, uh, 10,000 CVs. You talk about an army of recruiters. How how many do they have sort of dealing with like 10,000 CVs? I mean, that must be more than like two or three people's work, right? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Usually they have, um, you know, about a team of about 10 or more right, uh, recruiters. Right. Yeah. So they must have a, a recruitment process for the recruiters as well. So it's sort of, you know, that itself requires a recruitment <laughs> process. That's sort of pretty hard, True. right? True, exactly. So yeah. can, can all of that be dealt with just by a good process? Like, for example, what you're doing with, uh, with Grab Jobs and a chatbot. Yeah, so basically, our, our I would say our long term goal is really to um, you know improve the, the recruitment process at, at every step. Um, so we're taking it step by step. Um, you know, originally it was um, creating a mobile app that makes it um, very quick for applicants to um, to apply for jobs, but also actually standardizes uh, profiles because um, another issue that we have as recruiters is that. Um, you receive CVs in your inbox and every CV is in different format. You have like Word documents, rich text formats, PDFs, they're all formatted differently. So it, it's actually, it takes a bit of time to actually uh, find the right information that you want on a CV. Um, so what we do with our app is that when you um, when you first register and try to apply for a job, you actually have um, a little sort of a, a tutorial guide that actually guides guides you through um, inputting the, the required information, uh, you know, your previous employer, uh, your previous responsibilities, achievements, uh, you know, your top five skills. Um, and every profile on Grab Jobs is formatted the same way. So for, for employers, it's, it's very quick. They know exactly, you know, where to find the information. Um, so that was the, the first step. Try to, uh, try to fixing some issues at the, at the sourcing level, making it uh, faster, making it more efficient. Uh, and then the second step was uh, integrating the interview chatbot to uh, improve the, the screening process, which is the, the very first round uh, of interview. Um, the next step for us, uh, that's one feature that we're developing now and we're actually going to release uh, in April, um, is, um, is a, a self uh, a self-scheduler, a self-interview scheduler. So uh, basically the, the, the step you know, right now is um, an employee would receive uh, profiles, they would uh, see whether a candidate is qualified or not for the job, um, and then they would you know, arrange an interview with, uh, with that candidate, um, either by you know, chatting with them on the platform or um, you know, giving them a call to see whether you know, they can make it for an interview. Um, what we're, what we're integrating is a technology a bit similar to uh, Calendly. I don't know if you're familiar no, yeah, with that. Uh, we use Calendly. it all the time yeah. here on right. Tech Podcast. Exactly. We love it. Exactly. So basically what, what's going to happen is that as a job seeker, you respond to all your interview questions. Um, and if you've actually scored, let's say, higher than um, you know, 100 points, um, immediately the bot is going to show you um, sort of calendar of uh, availability. It's going to tell you, yeah. uh, okay, you're shortlisted for the next round. Um, pick a time slot for your face-to-face -face, uh, interview. Um, so it just you know completely um, removes this entire first round of, of screening. Yeah. Um, and an employer just needs to post a job. Then they just need to check the calendar to see you know when are the, uh, the candidates uh, booked in. Just creates a pipeline. I love that because... You know, whether it's booking people here on the show with Asia Tech Podcast or if you're booking candidates for uh, an employer, it, I don't think it's so much the time, Manu. It's the headspace that requires 
to constantly think about that is that, you know, when you get an email right now, I have to go to the calendar and work out, you know, this time zone, this person, all that kind of thing. You know, that requires a lot of headspace, which, you know, if you're making a lot of decisions, that reduces your decision energy, if you like, on a daily basis. You just kind of want all of that automated so that you focus on the real decision, like, which I guess is, is this person any good for the job, right? Exactly, exactly. And um, that's the thing, like this entire first round is is quite um, administrative. It's, you know, scanning through uh, profiles, asking the same questions, arranging interviews. Um, The productive part of the the job as a recruiter is is actually uh, engaging with people, you know, face to face or, you know, um, dealing with uh, stakeholders. Um, That's the productive part of the job. So uh, right now, I mean, uh, for a traditional process, about 70% of uh, a recruiter's time is, is administrative and 30% is, is on productive task. And we, our goal is to basically reverse that, that, okay, you only spend 30% doing admin tasks and mm. then, you know, 70% of your time is free to, uh, to engage with uh, candidates face to face. So I want to know, there have been plenty of smart guys like yourself in recruitment and technology in Asia for a number of years. Why hasn't this been built already? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, I, I guess, um, I mean, the, the advantage um, we have, I would say, over maybe some um, some other players that, that uh, have started, I would say, similar type of um, uh, job apps is that, um, you know, both co-founders, um, so my co-founder, Mark Mello, um, he also comes from a, a recruitment background. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a, a sales background. Um, then on my end, I have a, a mix of uh, technology background and recruitment. Um, so I think this does, um, this does help, you know, coming from the from the industry um you know we know how to speak to to employers uh, we know what you know what are the issues that hr people are facing um and i think some of the um some of the other players um they would have i'd say the, the experience from a, a job seeker side where you know they're seeing sort of the um, the pain points from the job seeker side but they don't necessarily know what are the pain points on the on the employer side mm. um so maybe it's taking them a bit longer to let's say um, you know build uh, exactly what is uh, what the market demands. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one thing that definitely helps also is the fact that um, you know I have a, a tech background, so even though I'm not involved in, in the day-to-day coding, um, when it comes to you know developing new features, um, it does help to to know you know what's possible, what's not possible with uh, with today's technology. Um, so it helps to accelerate, I would say, the development process. Um, so yeah, one of the one of the things I would um, uh, I would advise to you know anyone who's actually looking to to start a business, um, if they don't have a technical background, you know I really really advise them to um, to find a business partner that that has mm. um, because it will really help them down the line. Yeah, yeah. One of the things we talk a lot about, Manu, on Asia Tech Podcast is also you know startup founders being of a certain age. There's obviously there's sort of the narrative about the 20-year-old startup founder outside, you know, from Stanford in a pair of shorts type thing. But there's a real advantage for startup founders who have sort of 10 years of, of corporate experience, whatever that may be, because they understand what's broken. They understand what the pain points are in industries, whether that is recruitment or retail or food delivery, whatever it may be. And they, I, I think as well is that, you know, I keep impressing this point in Asia Tech Podcast is that that there's a real advantage for being an older startup founder and having that experience because, you know, if you're 19, 20, it's great. You have the energy and the ideas, but you don't know what doesn't work. And that's the important part about coming into an industry like this is that you've, you've experienced what doesn't work from all kinds of different angles. And I think that 
is definitely an advantage a team like yours have over one that maybe are, you know, straight out of the accelerator or, you know, straight mm. out of Stanford, right? So straight, straight out of Stanford. Yeah. Straight out of Stanford, <laughs> right? There you go. Um, yeah, another thing as well is, um, um, you know, uh, for a more of the experienced um, startup founders, um, if you actually started your career in um, um more in a corporate world, um, you know, in the corporate world, you actually learn to be to be structured. You actually learn, you know, processes. Um, so this is something that you know has helped because um, we've been quite process oriented since uh, since we started. Um, and a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the some of my friends that also you know, started businesses um, may have started businesses, you know, without having corporate experience before. Um, so when it comes to actually putting processes in place, um, yeah, it, it's a bit harder for them just because they don't have this, you know, uh, they haven't acquired this experience yet. Mm. Yeah. So there's definitely a benefit to um, having had a, at least a couple of years of a corporate experience before starting your startup. Okay, let's talk about your fundraise then, because sure. you're in the process of seeking a Series A, if I'm correct, right. and you just you just sort of completed the the you know you signed off on your your seed round or you've you've topped up your seed round. What's the situation? You are funded by friends and family, angel investors. What's the situation up to now, sort of mid 2018, and what is the situation going to be next? So at the moment, yes, we're um, uh, all founded by um, friends and um, angel investors. Um, and the situation now is that, yeah, we, we're looking for um, institutional um, investors to, to basically mm-hmm. uh, take it to the next level, um, you know, expand further uh, in the region. Um, but yeah, until now, we've actually raised um, uh, 1.6 million uh, Singapore dollars. Um, and that was actually all from, uh, from angel investors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And were these people that you knew beforehand? Um, not um, not all of them. Um, so how we started was um, so we launched Grab Jobs. It was um, January two thousand sixteen, um, and prior to that, it took us about um, um, three to six months to uh, to actually you know get it developed. Um, so mid two thousand fifteen, we did our, our I would say um, initial round of uh, funding that was mm-hmm. to to develop the concept. Um, we put on we put in uh, some of our funds, and we had one uh, a very good friend of us of ours and a trusted advisor who also uh, put in a, a small amount. Um, then we basically launched the, the prototype. Um, um, you know, saw saw how the market reacted to it, made a few a few changes, um, and yeah, because we saw that um, um, you know clients were um, enjoying it, job seekers were enjoying it, we decided to to start raising additional funds um, to start expansion um, in the region. Hmm. Um, so what we did was we did um, basically did the, the entire round of, of VCs, you know, meeting all the the seed VCs. Um, but one thing that we realized, um, and that was a bit of a challenge for us, is um, so Mark and I, we've we started businesses uh, before. You know, we did our, our recruitment company. Uh, we also started a few um, investment companies. Um, but it was um, we were never, let's say, uh, seeking external funds because all these companies were were self-funded. Um, mm. And when you work in um, a traditional, um, let's say, recruitment model, um, it, it gets profitable, you know, very quickly because you basically receive funds from from clients um, you know, straight away. Mm. Um, so we never were exposed to this challenge of raising funds. Um, and you know, when you read uh, articles online about startups getting founded, uh, f- funded, it actually seems pretty simple to uh, to raise funds. Uh, so we had the the uh, 
we came with the idea that we thought, okay, raising funds is going to be fast. Uh, you know, let's not worry too much about it. But actually, there was the, the challenging part. Uh, we realized that raising funds, especially from institutional investors, no. um, is a very, very uh, long process. It can really take, you know, three to six months, if not longer, uh, sometimes. Um, you know, you would engage in a, in a first conversation, you meet them again, you meet them again. Um, so at some point we realized, you know, we really need to find faster solutions. Um, that's why we uh, started exploring more the, the angel uh, investor space. So we started by asking um, our, our direct, you know, direct friends, our direct network, um, some of our previous, you know, clients as well in um, in uh, the other uh, businesses that we did. Um, and once we had um, exhausted that, we had to to get uh, a bit more creative as well. Um, that's when we got introduced to JP, who basically mm. was on on the show, I think, uh, recently, um, who basically helps you know start up uh, fundraise. Um, and that was a really really great help because. Um, Again, my, my partner and I did not have any experience um, with fundraising. So uh, what we thought, you know, was good metrics to show to investors actually was not, you know, very interesting for investors. And we also didn't know the proper way to, let's say, structure uh, an investor deck. Um, so working with someone like JP who um, has experience, you know, working uh, in a VC, uh, being on the on the side of the investor, um, really helped because you know he was able to to structure our deck, structure mm. our financials, uh, really show to investors, you know, what is it that, um, yeah, you know, the the, the company does, the, the metrics. Um, so yeah, with, with his help, we were actually able to to raise uh, much faster, and he was able to introduce us to um, to quite a number of uh, angel investors as well. So when JP looked at your deck and you know, waved his magic wand and improved it. What, what, what did he sort of pull out of it, which you were kind of hiding or you didn't think was important in your first sort of round of presentations? I think um, as, um, I mean, one of the, the, the things that um, um, I would say our first presentation had, it was, um, it was showing, let's say it was showing our growth. It was showing, showing like the, the metrics we had, the number of uh, job seekers, uh, you know, going up the number of employers, um, but it, it wasn't talking um, enough about, um, I would say, our, our, our business model um, and how how our business model is actually profitable. Um, and mm. this is, uh, you know, this is uh, actually, I mean, of course, the, the main, you know, the main point that investors want to hear. They basically want to know, like, okay, how long is it going to take me to uh, make money? Um, and that was one of the points that we were not emphasizing enough. We had maybe one short slide on it. Um, but yeah, JP helped to actually um, elaborate that in more details, um, break down more details about um, uh, exactly who our, our clients are, um, what what's the profile of the, of the clients um, to whom we're like, um, that gives us, let's say, 80% of, uh, of revenue, um, what's our plan basically to, to expand revenue. So everything related to, to revenue and profitability was something that we had not uh, talked about enough, um, which, you know, uh, when you're building your, your investor deck, you should be really emphasizing on that. Mm. Is there ever a risk when you're doing that, that you already show the investor that you're a big success story? You know, if you show them growing numbers, they think, wow, you guys are really good. You know, you're doing really well. You're growing without any investment. You know, why do you need my investment? Why do you need my money? Is Was that ever a risk with your presentation that you didn't sort of show the investor where the, the upside was for them or where the sort of the unseen upside was for them? 
I would say um, no. I would say it's not a it's not a risk because when you're looking for investor money, it's really to to grow even faster. Um, so sure, sure, we were we're growing, um, but uh, you know we're we're in a, in a couple of countries, but we had you know enough funds to to be in in three to four countries. Um, if you want to take it to the to the next level and really um, penetrate each market each market um, deeply and also expand to the rest of Southeast Asia, um, that's when you need to actually raise a lot more funds. So mm. uh, you basically show an investor, you know, give me this amount um, and, you know, this is how I'm going to scale the business with uh, with your money. Right. Got it. So you basically tell them that with this amount of money, we've managed to penetrate one, two, three markets, however many. You add this amount of money and we can penetrate another three markets, right? It's a simple exactly. growth story. So when you when JP came on board with you and worked with you, did he also change who you were focusing your pitch to? Did you sort of reconsider the the potential investor? Did you have a different sort of target for that? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, actually. Um, so, so he did. He did um, help. Uh, I would say yeah, recalibrate um, the type of uh, investors we, we we were speaking with, um, because it's true that you know in the past we had actually spoken to some investors that um, in the end were not so relevant uh, to us. Um, so he has experience with. Uh, he knows all the all the VCs. He knows also what they're looking for and the type of deals that they usually invest. Um, he also knows their deal cycle. So meaning that, you know, do they actually still have funds to invest or, uh, you know, are they closing closing their funds soon? So yeah, that, that would help to, um, I would say, speed up the process and just making sure we don't go on, um, on, on meetings that are, you know, we just take our time and we know that nothing's going to, nothing's going to happen. Um, but he did put the emphasis, you know, if you want to raise funds fast, um, you know, better to go with, uh, with angel investors. Um, so that's, that's what we did because, um, we were in, in a situation where we didn't want to raise, I mean, we're still, you know, a very early stage, uh, startup. Um, so it's, it's a lot, it's also a lot more difficult to, let's say you raise a big amount. Let's say you decide to raise you know, 1 million or 3 million when, when you're a very early stage uh, startup. Um, it's, it's easier and faster to raise it in, in trenches. Um, so, you know, every, every six months you raise, you know, you start with 200K, then another 500K, then another 800K. Um, so you basically build it up uh, every six months. Um, and that's sort of where we, we are now. So we raised, you know, one, about 1.6. Um, you know, next step for us is to, to raise uh, 3 million. Um, but this time, yeah, we would like to, to get some um, institutional investors on board. Um, you know, that will help with um, um, the, um, the expansion in Southeast Asia mm. and, and scalability as well. Yeah. And, and just to put this into context, for any of the listeners who are not familiar with the currencies, 1.6 million Singapore is about 1 1.2 million US, right? Just so they can understand what sort of Correct. number. Okay. All right. So we've got a, a picture of where you are, where you're heading with your fundraising. If you were to do it all again, or you were to advise somebody in that situation, what, what is the one thing you would do differently that would get you up that learning curve faster? Let's see. Uh, it's a very good question. Um, couple things. Um, so first of all, yeah, when it comes to, to fundraising, uh, for sure, it would be um, never stop, never stop fundraising um, right. and, and start as, um, as early as, uh, as possible. Um, so don't think that, okay, if you actually think it's going to take you, you know, three months to, to raise funds, um, you know, budget six months, um, because it does take longer than, um, than expected. Mm. Um, that, that's a problem, that we, isn't it, with us entrepreneurs? We're optimists. Exactly. So it always it could yeah. be done in half the time. All right. Yeah, that's a good point. 
first exactly. point. We're, we're, uh, we're optimists. Um, second thing I would say is um, um, it, it was kind of linked to, to the first point, but don't make decisions uh, based on the fact that you think you're going to be getting funding. Um, so mm-hmm. one of the, I would say one of the mistakes we, we made was, um, so we expanded pretty quickly. We, we expanded, um, um, so we launched in Singapore nine months later. We launched in the Philippines uh, a month after that in, in Thailand, uh, a couple of months after that in Myanmar. So, so we expanded very fast. Um, but it was also in the optic that um, we would be raising funds fast as well. Um, and we came to a situation actually where um, one of our markets um, um, we realized in, in, in Thailand, uh, the app wasn't, um, I would say, ready for um, that market. Um, so every market has, has challenges. You need to sort of um, um, adapt to the local cu- culture, um, adapt also your, um, your selling skills. Um, and um, uh, the, the market uh, in Thailand was not growing as fast as, let's say, the, the other markets. Um, however, we had decided to hire uh, quite a number of salespeople mm. um, um, in the, with the vision that, you know, we would be raising uh, funds soon. Um, unfortunately, you know, it took us uh, much longer to, to raise funds than we expected. Um, so, you know, we unfortunately had to make the, the call to actually um, let go of some salespeople mm. just because, yeah, you know, the funds didn't come in on time. Um, so what I would say is, don't be too optimistic, um, yeah. and yeah, only uh, only make uh, you know business decisions once you actually have you know the funds uh, in the account. In the bank, um, yes, yes. Exactly. Oh, I'm sure it's the um, same with re- you've learned that for recruitment. It, the de- the deal isn't done until the person's exactly. actually signed the contract and you know moved to the company it's and the not- money's in the bank, right? Because anything can happen. Yeah, no, exactly. Anything can happen. Um, another thing I would, um, another uh, piece of advice I could give, um, that's more sort of on, on the, the data analytics part. Um, but yeah, I would really advise um, um, startups to to track um, everything. Um, mm. That means like, you know, if they're launching a, a website or an app, um, really track, you know, every, um, every user action, you know, every button they click. Um, if you're launching marketing campaigns, you know, make sure you actually uh, track every campaign, do some A-B testing, uh, see what works, see what doesn't. Same thing in sales, um, you know, try different types of sales methods, you know, uh, track the results, see what works, see what doesn't work. Because um, data is really, really there to, to help you. Uh, when we first started, you know, grab jobs, we, um, um, you know, we launched the, the, the prototype and we were tracking a few things, but I would say not enough, not enough data mm. points. Um, so... We were we yeah we did happen to, to miss uh, a few things. Um, um, just to, to give an example, um, you know you can track let's say the number of uh, new job seekers that, that sign up. You can track the the number of like job applications. Um, but there's one more thing you need to track is actually the, the unique number of job applicants per day because maybe you see a lot of um, job seekers every day and you see a lot of job applications, but maybe it's always the same people applying for jobs. So you need to make sure that, you know, everyone um, is actually applying for jobs and you're, you're catering to all your users. Um, so you know, constantly take feedback from your users, um, you know, whether, I mean, if you're doing a marketplace like on, on both sides of the market, um, yeah, track as much data um, as possible because yeah, business decisions have to be made based, uh, based on data results. Exactly. And investors like that as well. Even if they don't have a need for all of the data. They like to see that you've made the effort to quantify as much as possible. So it's all good advice. That's Emmanuel Manu Croy, everybody. 
and he's the CEO and co-founder of Grab Jobs. Manu, I'm sure some of the people listening want to make contact with you. They could be potential investors, they could be potential team members, they could be potential partners or anything else that's not in any of the above. Where do people find out more about you? Sure. So um, they can uh, reach out to me um, well, two ways. Um, you can simply find me uh, on LinkedIn. So easy, just uh, you know, first name, last name. You can send me a message there, uh, or simply shoot me um, an email. Um, so it's my first name, Emmanuel at uh, grabjobs.co. Excellent. That is Emmanuel Manu Croy, and he'll be back, I'm sure, to give us an update on the journey. That is Grab Jobs. Sure, sure, definitely. Merci after, beaucoup. After Thank you. Yeah. yeah, great having you on the show, and I wish you all the best with your raise and the expansion. It sounds like you're doing great things there. We look forward to the update. So, Manu, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much, Graham. Thank you very much. Have a great day, Graham. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.